The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now we have Councillor Sarah Mansell, Brownville Ward Councillor. Thank you very much for being on the program. Good morning, Mitchell. Well, this is your second term of being a councillor. Uh, you had a, a term last time around. How do you think this term of office is going in comparison to the first one? Oh, look, I think, um, you know, in some ways it's really a continuation of, of where we left off last time. Um, I think it, it certainly helps having the experience of another term un- under my belt um, on a personal level. I think it's... Um, you know, um, you sort of know how how the mechanics of council work and uh, what to expect, what the rhythm of the year is like. Um, so it's certainly good having that experience this time around. But in terms of the business of council, it's really just it's really rolled on. Um, particularly given that we finished up in the middle of um, you know a lot of the COVID restrictions and then and kicked off again with that. Um, as an ongoing challenge, um, you know, there, there has certainly been a sense that it's, it's really just been, you know, um, a continuation of our, our previous business. How have you found responding to the COVID challenges in that the nature of the way that council does business has obviously changed? Council meetings have been on Zoom and yeah. so on. Have you found it easy to adapt or has it been difficult? Uh, oh, look, I think it's it's come with... I think like for everyone, you know, there have been some probably unexpected benefits from it, but also um, it's certainly challenging in other ways. Um, one of the benefits I found was I had my second child during uh, the, oh, it's just before the, the round of lock, first round of lockdowns and um, being able to do a lot of meetings online uh, made a huge difference for being able to juggle with a young family. Um, you know, just just really increase flexibility there. And I know that for people having to travel, say from, um, you know, uh, the Bellarine or Lara, um, in for you know what are often sort of brief um, meetings, not our public facing meetings, but other ones. It's really it's really in- increased accessibility and made made things a lot easier. Um, in terms of interacting with the community, I think it's also made it easier for us to actually schedule a lot of meetings because everyone is now or a lot of people are now using Zoom but the challenges have been that you there is something that you get out of face-to-face contact that you can't it's just not quite the same mm-hmm. online and particularly with you know I sit on a number of advisory committees and particularly when you're doing that sort of workshopping um, brainstorming type work that really depends on everyone being in the room and and being able to bounce ideas off each other a lot of that's me you know been missing the other thing is I think you know that there is a digital divide everywhere but in Geelong it's you know that it definitely exists and there are people who don't have access to technology and it it has meant that they have probably been locked out from participating in some things to an extent. So, um, you know, I think that's that's something that I'm very aware of. And, um, you know, I, I think the easing of restrictions will be helpful for, for that group of, of people. But it's also something that I think we need to address going forward if we're going to do more of our work online. Do you think that some or even all meetings will be online in the future just because it does create that flexibility, which then means councillors can presumably come from a broader range of backgrounds, people with work commitments or new parents, etc.? 
Yeah, well, look, I think the, the current legislation, um, the state government legislation now allows for hybrid meetings. So it does mean that uh, people can, you know, um, come in online as well as be in the chamber for, for meetings. So I think as particularly as our technology improves, you know, the technology that supports that sort of model, um, as that improves, I think it will increase um, flexibility. Um, there are a lot of other barriers that exist for, for people to, to participate in these sort of things, but I, I do think that will will make a difference going forward. And it's it's probably something we needed to be doing a long time ago. A lot of other workplaces have, you know, been doing that sort of model for a long time, um, but your local government wasn't quite there and uh, it, it just took a global pandemic to sort of shift us mm. into, the, into modern times, yeah. Do you have any big objectives for this term of council? Uh, so I guess my... Big passion areas are around uh, strong action on climate change. Uh, so that's that's something that we're doing a lot of work on, and there's something coming before council next, hopefully next week, uh, on that uh, climate change response plan. And the other one is our social housing strategy, um, which is really aiming to get more. Um, community and public housing and affordable housing built for uh, members of our community who, who need that. So on climate change, we've recently had COP26. I'm just wondering what yeah. you thought the outcome of that was and uh, how that aligns with what the council is doing because I've already read this morning some people are disappointed that maybe it didn't yeah. go far enough. Mm. Well, look, on a personal level, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the whole council group when I say this, yes. I share their disappointment, um, the, the disappointment of many. Um, I think, look, always going to be a challenge to reach an, an agreement between that many countries on something that is, is so challenging. But unfortunately, we're at a time where uh, we don't really get to choose the the, the timelines anymore. Um, you know, I think this sort of agreement was probably, you know, it would have been fine, you know, a decade or two ago, but we've, we're running out of time. And, and if we had all the time in the world, if we were negotiating something else that didn't have a time limit on it, um, I think, you know, it would be a different story. But that deadline is there. We know we've got to act this decade and we're going to have to make some, some big changes. And the, the longer we leave it, the bigger and more expensive and more difficult those changes will be. So this is the time to act now. So we, you know, and particularly, I'm particularly disappointed in, you know, Australia's representation there and, and you know, what what we've put forward and what we've agreed to. Um, we're, you know, I think we're the third biggest exporter of um, fossil fuels in the world. And, we, you know, I, I understand that our economy depends on that, but we're, you know, we, we need to be transitioning and ensuring we have a future for our economy um, and this doesn't really do anything to, to address that. So certainly on a personal level, disappointing, but, you know, it just means there's more work to go. In terms of council, how does it align with COP26? So is what the council is already doing going to meet the objectives of COP26 or will you have to go further in terms of emissions reductions? So in terms of um, what what council is doing our, our draft climate change response plan uh, went out for community consultation recently that'll be coming uh, to a future council meeting uh, hopefully in the, the our, our next council meeting um, and in that we have uh, committed to uh, reducing our emissions as a as an organization um, to to zero by 2025 so and we're on track 
to do that. We we hadn't been for quite a long time, but we um, one of the big things that we've changed is we signed up to um, a power purchasing agreement with a number of other councils to source all of our electricity from 100% renewable sources. Uh, and that's gone a long way to reducing our emissions will make a huge difference. And another a number of other really big um, changes like uh, replacing our street lighting with LEDs um, made a big difference. Uh, we're undertaking a number of other initiatives to, to reduce our own emissions as an organisation, but we're only 1% of the emissions in the whole municipality. The rest of it is the, is the challenge for us. So we have, we're hoping to set a community-wide target. Council hasn't endorsed this yet, so it still has to come before the chamber and be endorsed. But if it does get endorsed, we, the, the draft had proposed uh, a community-wide target of 2035 zero emissions. So that is far, you know, a vast improvement on what we're seeing proposed at um, COP26 and, you know, federally. Um, but that will be a challenge. And, and council's role in that will really be to provide a lot of leadership. Um, we, we know the community have been asking us to show that leadership, um, perhaps because it's not happening in, at, at other levels of government. Again, my personal opinion, not necessarily, I'm not speaking on behalf of council there, but it's, um, you know, it, it, that, that is a, an ambitious target and will take a lot of work. But, you know, it is, it's where we need to be heading. In terms of social housing, this issue has come into focus probably even more recently given the escalating house prices and also a very crowded rental market. I'm just wondering what role does council have to play in this space? This is a really interesting one. So, you know, traditionally housing has been something that we have relied on, um, you know, uh, we, we've relied on other levels of government to really set the policy direction here. And increasingly, I think local governments have realised that although we there are a lot of things we can't, we don't control, we can make a difference um, and we, there, there are some levers we have to try and improve access to social and affordable housing. So we've done, undertaken a, a, a huge amount of work looking at what all, all of those levers might be for us um, and how we can make a, a difference. We've identified a tremendous need within our region. Um, we know that we need, at, at the moment, we need it you know, uh, uh, there, there are at least 10,000 people in need of social or affordable housing um, in our, in just in the, the city of Greater Geelong. Uh, and so we really want to increase the stock of housing and do what we can uh, to improve that. So we've identified a number of projects. Um, one of the big things that council can contribute is land. We have surplus land that may be appropriate to be developed in social housing. And if we partner with other organisations who are, uh, able to build and deliver that housing, including the state government, that could make a really big difference. Um, some other things we're looking at is how we can negotiate with developers, uh, with new developments, both in infill areas and in greenfields areas, to increase the stock of uh, housing that's put aside for, for social housing. Um, and uh, there, there are a range of other other things that we're looking at doing. Uh, we did establish last year, a um, or earlier this year, a, a an affordable housing uh, trust. And the idea of that is it will be a mechanism for council to put aside assets, in particular 
most likely land and also for philanthropists to make donations and uh, we'll appoint a trustee who'll be a registered housing association. They're, they're groups that actually specialise in building community housing um, and that will hopefully over time uh, be an ongoing way that the City of Greater Geelong can contribute to the supply um, of, of social housing in our area. Now, you might want to be careful about answering this next question because sure. you'll be setting yourself into a massive federal contest, it seems, about swimming pools, oh, but yeah. uh, the Northern Ballerine <laughs> Swimming Pool. Um, the Council's now, I believe, talking about a second stage. There's an article in the paper today. What's going yes. on there? Oh, look, this is, as, you, as you've highlighted, there are some political sensitivities around this one. I think, um, you know, what we've heard from the community is that they're, you know, that this is something that they, um, you know, they have, in general, there is demand for a um, an aquatic facility in in the Bellarine. Um, council uh, entered into an agreement with the federal government to build an outdoor pool, but we heard strongly at the time that the community also desired an indoor facility, and that was always planned as a stage you know, a second stage in this development. And so community consultation on that um, second stage to, to include an indoor pool has has started. Um, now, I know that there will be, there'll probably be different opinions about that, that process, uh, but, you know, the, often there are political realities here and there was money on the table and it was an opportunity for us to deliver some infrastructure that the community wanted. So, um that's how we've ended up with the the outdoor pool being agreed to first. The Armstrong Creek Library and Community Hub, I've seen some of the concept designs of that. Your thoughts? Oh, look, I'm, I I love libraries. I think it's really exciting that uh, um, the Armstrong Creek area is going to be getting their own library. Um, I know that there, there'll be different opinions about the, 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 the design and I think any, you know, new building that's... Um, you know, a bit a bit different to your standard-looking building will generate discussion. Personally, I actually think it looks great, but um, you know, I think you know, I'm really um, encouraging people, particularly people who live out in Armstrong Creek, and will be most likely to, uh, the most likely ones to be using the facility to provide us input on what they think uh, of the design uh, and how that that building will work for them, uh, because. Councils will take that very much into consideration in, in the decisions that we make. Uh, the Christmas tree has been lit up and I see there's even yeah. a, a camera. I think you had this previous years, but an online stream you can go to to actually see the Christmas tree live. Yes. Yeah. So, that, again, I think that's sort of something that, um, you know, has come out of COVID and uh, we, you know, improves accessibility uh, for people across the municipality who, for one reason or another, may not be able to get in and see the tree or would like to see the tree every night. Uh, so uh, that's um, that's been a great addition to the Christmas program um, and hopefully this year more people will be able to get out and about and enjoy it uh, in real life. And just last of all, I believe Greater Geelong has hit 95% fully vaccinated and I know that you're a GP outside of being a counsellor. Yes. I'm just wondering how you think it's all going. Oh, look, I think that's a tremendous effort. Um, I think, you know, um, so c congratulations to, to everyone who's gone out there and um, been vaccinated. I know it's a, it can be a, a challenging issue for some. I know it's not, you know, that there has been um, some 
you know, that there are people who are, who still are concerned about it. And I'd encourage anyone who is concerned to, to go and speak to your GP, um, you know, don't don't be afraid to voice your your concerns about things and, and talk through what the issues are. And um, but I, look, I think that's a fantastic effort. It will hopefully put us in good stead coming into the summer. Uh, I a word of caution is we just you know we're we're in a position in Australia where we are a little bit behind uh, the the northern hemisphere. So it's worth keeping an eye on what's happening there, uh, just to ensure that as we head into the cooler months next year, uh, we're still in a in a good position and hopefully don't end up having to to reintroduce any sort of restrictions or, um, you know. uh, (laughs) It's quite worrying to see what's going on. It's quite worrying to see what's happening in, I think, Germany. They've got quite high cases and, uh, in fact, probably big parts of the Northern Hemisphere in Europe. So, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. We hope that we don't have to go back into some sort of lockdown because we're trying to hopefully rebuild after that. Absolutely. And look, I think it's, you know, vaccination is is one of the tools we have, but it's a very effective one, we know, um, but we're learning more about that. And, you know, the role of booster shots is probably going to become uh, more important. Um, and we'll have the, we have the benefit of being able to see how that plays out, um, looking at our um, overseas uh, counterparts. But look, I think we've got a great foundation, you know, that, that's got to be one of the highest vaccination rates in anywhere in the country and anywhere in the world mm. over, over 95%. So that will make a big difference and it will ensure that those people who perhaps still remain vulnerable even when they're vaccinated have good protection. The more people who are vaccinated, the, it's not, a, nothing's 100%, but it significantly reduces your risk of catching it or passing it on to others. So, um, yeah, hopefully it means we've got a good summer ahead and uh, we just, you know, we, we try and make the most of, of the, you know, what, what we can. Well, thank you very much for being on the program. Really appreciate it. No worries. Lovely to speak to you again, Mitchell. Thank you very much. Councillor Sarah Mansfield with us there, Brown Bill Ward, councillor from the city of Greater Geelong. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.